Invisible Warfare. Since this book first appeared in 1978, there's been a rapid acceleration in public awareness about mind control. It has largely replaced the term brainwashing in the press, appearing with some regularity on the front pages of your local daily newspaper. If you are laboring under the impression that the church committee hearings stopped Operation Mind Control, you now know better. In these pages, you have learned of evidence to the contrary. Instead of halting mind control, a whole new kind of warfare has developed around it. The new style technology makes the old Project Monarch style classical conditioning obsolete. It is the reason so many survivors are remembering and are allowed to talk. They are no longer needed, and there's a better way to control minds. Public awareness has been outrun by the progress in mind control technology. It has gone from drugs and hypnosis to the effects of microwaves, ELF waves, gravity waves, and modulated signals of all kinds. The basics are the same in all technologies. The government programmers sneak into the subconscious mind of the individuals and the masses and influence them without their consent or knowledge. It works the same way hypnosis works. In fact, whether aided by drugs, a variety of signals or waves, the objective is the same. To talk to 90% of us that are asleep but automatically in charge of our lives most of the time. It is difficult to get a person to change through reason. All the logical persuasion, discussion, and argument possible have all a small chance of changing a person's core beliefs. But it is easy to get a person to change by an applied covert use of language spoken to the unconscious. Certain frequencies make the majority of people suggestible. Modulated frequencies can be embedded behind music as messages, which are constructed of ordinary language, carefully chosen, framed in the positive, you are thirsty, drink Coca-Cola. Used in such a context, it will show you Coke sales to be positively affected. We are bathed in an environment of invisible wave stimulus from radio waves, television waves, cellular phone waves, microwaves, power line electromagnetic waves, and gravity waves. Who notices? And if the waves act as a carrier for a signal, if part of them is modulated to carry a voice, sensitive individuals will hear the suggestions, but most won't. They'll just act upon them. Invisible mind control weaponry has been the most sought after military prize since the days of ancient Chinese legendary warlord Sun Tzu. It was developed in India and refined through succeeding civilizations as Egypt, China, the Mayan Empire, Greece, Rome, medieval Europe, Nazi Germany, Soviet Russia, Red China, and finally in the United States. As early as 1900, 
the U.S. had access to patents and theories which are now just being understood. Their inventor was none other than Nikola Tesla, the man who worked for both the Edison and Westinghouse companies, the man who invented the famous Tesla coil and alternative current, the man whose inventions laid the groundwork for TV, radio, telegraphy, electronic surveillance, dictaphones, air purifiers, death rays, and even a technology for the solution for our current energy crisis. Of course, technology is neutral. It can be used to enrich and empower the human spirit, or it can be used to enslave it. There still is much to learn about the electromagnetic spectrum and its effect on humanity's collective mind and body. It may be hard to convince ourselves that something we can't see, hear, touch, taste, or smell can still hutter so dreadfully, said Dr. Robert Becker and or Gary Selden wrote in the landmark work, The Body Electric. Quote, yet the fact must be faced. Just as we've learned a healthy fear of nuclear radiation, certain scientists, some perhaps acting in a program of deliberate disinformation, keep telling the public that we still don't know whether electropollution is a threat to human health. That's simply not true. Certainly, we need to know more, but a multitude of risks have been well documented. Three dangers overshadow all others. The first has been conclusively proven. ELF, electromagnetic fields, vibrating at about 30 to 100 hertz, even if they're weaker than the Earth's field, interfere with the cues that keep our biological cycles properly timed. Chronic stress and impaired disease resistance results. Second, the available evidence strongly suggests that regulation of cellular growth processes is impaired by electropollution, increasing cancer rates, and producing serious reproductive problems. Electromagnetic weapons constitute a third class of hazards culminating in climate manipulation from a sorcerer's apprentice level of ignorance. That was the firm conclusion in 1985. And what's the conclusion now? After another 15 years of experimentation upon U.S. citizens, or is it subjects now? Who, history demonstrates, are thought of as so many rats in the cryptocracy's maze? In the late 1970s, while the military was vigorously denying the very existence of bio-effects from electromagnetic field exposure, Dr. Robert Becker wrote, quote, Such bio-effects were actually being explored as potential weapons, weapons that, with enormous advantage of being totally silent and imperceptible. The EMP, electromagnetic pulse concept, has been extended throughout the development of devices that generate EMP pulses without the need for nuclear explosions. Such devices could be deployed for use against enemy command, control centers, or against aircraft in order to produce failure and electronic equipment. A derivative of this program is HPM, high-powered pulsed microwave, a pulses of microwave several types ranging in frequency from 1200 megahertz to 35 gigahertz with powers up to 1000 megawatts are being tested. 
These are also being considered for potential use as weapons against human beings. A report drive from the testing program of the Microwave Research Department at the Walter Reed Army Institute of Research stated, quote, Microwave energy is the range of 1 to 5 gigahertz. A military important range penetrates all organ systems of the body and thus puts all organ systems at risk. Effects on the central nervous system are considered very important. The testing program, begun in 1986, is divided into four parts. Number one, prompt debilitation effects. Number two, prompt stimulus through auditory effects. Number three, work interferences, stoppage effects. Number four, effects on stimulus-controlled behavior. Becker's report went on to state, the production of cognitive and behavioral alterations by HPM is a sledgehammer effect in comparison to the subtle alterations produced by ELF fields. According to a 1982 Air Force review of biotechnology, ELF has a number of potential military uses, including dealing with terrorist groups, crowd control, controlling beaches and security at military installations, and anti-personal techniques in tactical warfare. The same report said, Electromagnetic systems would be used to produce mild to severe physiological disruption or perceptual distortion or disorientation. They are silent and countermeasures to them may be difficult to develop. Becker's protest is rare among qualified research scientists. He wrote, quote, A new class of weapons based on electromagnetic fields has been added to the muscles of the military organism. The C-31 Command, Control, Communications, and Intelligence doctrine is still growing and expanding. It would appear that the military might be able to completely control the minds of the civilian public. Exhibiting unusual courage for a man in his position, Dr. Baer and Dr. Becker cautioned, I have made no attempt here to review in any detail the relationship between military considerations and the hazards of man-made electromagnetic fields. This complex and dangerous situation lies outside the scope of this book, except for an indication of how the political policies derived from it have effectively hampered the public recognition of the hazards. In my opinion, the military establishment still believes that the survival of a military organism is worth the sacrifice of the lives and health of large segments of the American population. The cryptocracy wants us to call it non-lethal weaponry or no-kill warfare. More appropriate is the term invisible weaponry or warfare. It began to be used in the common man in the 1970s after it was announced that the Soviets were caught red-handed beaming microwaves at U.S. Embassy in Moscow. Oddly enough, they'd been doing it for over 20 years, triggering cancer, heart problems, cataracts, and emotional stress among embassy staff and employees, and either nobody noticed or nobody cared. It was while sweeping the embassy for bugs, they said, 
that security personnel detected a microwave beam straight at the embassy in 1962. These sweeps were usually frequent, and technology which can detect microwave radiation goes back to the 40s or earlier. Supposedly, the reports say the Pentagon and the U.S. intelligence community became alarmed at the possibility of neurological and behavioral effects. This might have a diplomatic personnel in 1962. Then they took a wait and see posture. They kept the knowledge secret from the suffering embassy staff for 12 more years. It wasn't that cryptocurrency did nothing. The CIA launched Project Pandora, which was named at understanding the Soviets' motives for the microwave attack. The extensive investigation which was Pandora revealed that Soviets had been doing research in this area for years, concentrating their studies on the emotional and mental effects of microwaves. By the summer of 1965, a Pentagon-affiliated think tank, Institute for Defense Analysis, convened a special task force to replicate Soviet experiments and analyze the problem, or so the official history goes. The Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency, DARPA, began experimenting on rhesus monkeys with microwaves at Walter Reed Army Research Institute. The results are still classified top secret, but from duplicate studies we have learned that microwave has caused profound effects on the central nervous system and then changed behavior in rhesus monkeys. At a summit meeting in Glassboro, New Jersey, during June 1967, President Lyndon Johnson asked Soviet Premier Alexei Kosygin to halt the Moscow signal. In 1969, leading microwave scientists gathered at the University of Virginia Medical College at Richmond for a three-day symposium on biological effects and health implications of microwave radiation. Microwave authority Dr. Carol Mara Czechoslovakia declared that microwave bioeffects include pains in the head and eyes, fatigue, overall weakness, dizziness and vertigo, poor night sleep, irritability, fear, hypochondria, tension, depression, inhibition of intellectual function, and decreased memory. Yet most of those at this symposium ignore the subject of human bioeffects. Random line research biophysicists. Dr. Alan H. Frey was more than interested, however. Frey determined that humans could actually hear pulsed microwaves at frequencies ranging from 300 to 3,000 megahertz. But it was not until Jack Anderson broke the Moscow signal story in 1972 that the public learned the truth about the insidious new possibilities for controlling the minds of millions. Several months after Anderson's microwaving column, the Soviets accused the U.S. of irradiating chess wizard Boris Kwaski with electronic devices, causing him to lose a championship match to Bobby Fischer. On February 7, 1976, the L.A. Times quoted U.S. Ambassador Walter J. Stossel, Jr. as telling his staff that the microwaves could cause leukemia, skin cancer, cataracts, and emotional illness. Stossel himself was reportedly suffering from a mysterious illness resembling leukemia, which caused bleeding in the eyes and nausea. Two of his predecessors at the embassy died of cancer. 
according to National Security Advisor Zbigniew Brzezinski, U.S. Embassy personnel in Moscow suffer the highest cancer rate in the world. We can only assume that the Soviets have now at least stopped bombarding the embassy. Project Pandora still remains classified. The U.S., of course, was not in ignorant about the potential use of microwave weaponry as it appeared. In 1957, the CIA and Pentagon began a project known as River Sticks, which revealed the decade-long effort to coordinate various Pentagon corporations and university intelligence agencies at the same time keep the lid on their intentions. The codename River Sticks was taken from the Greek mythology. The newly dead souls of ancient Greece had to ford two streams before they were admitted into Hades. The first, the river Lath, erased all memory of having lived in the minds of those immersed in its waters. The second, the river Styx, baptized the newly deceased Greek, making the soul dead forever and admitting it through the gates of Hades. Should developments in this type of weapon be undertaken and should they become known to the public, charges from public and foreign sources that this is an atrocity weapon may be used and should be anticipated. Thus, naturally, when the cryptocracy began to leak the fact of their now operational capabilities in the 1990s, it was in terms of non-lethal kindly warfare, anti-terrorist and mob control technology. But with ghoulish humor, the creators of River Sticks project had the lad laugh. Supposedly, the first invisible weapons design, River Sticks, was conceived as a way of stopping the Soviet cavalry as it launched an overwhelming tank attack against Western Europe. Large microwave dishes mounted on half tracks would be secreted into the woods and would triangulate the advancing Soviet army while on the move or while being biohacked. Thus, the documents said would grossly degrade bodily functions of the brain, the testes, the eyes, and the organs. Further, the creators of the weapons claimed there are paraphysical advantages that may accrue to the country and allied nations from the early realization of military applications of these effects. According to one Pentagon study, the Army conducted microwave experiments which produced third-degree burns on the subjects at the Medical Research Lab at Fort Knox, Kentucky. General Electric, building on its earlier independent development of anti-personnel microwave weapons, participated in Project Comet while researched the physiological effects of EMR. These projects spanned from the EMR spectrum from radio waves to microwaves. River Sticks, however, may have been just one of the many dummy projects backed by the cryptocracy. As Fletcher Prouty told us, whenever the CIA was supporting some important secret project, it would fund a number of dummy projects which looked just like the real one on the surface. They were thinking 20 years ahead, even before the Freedom of Information Act. They knew that they were going to have to come clean on things, and they wanted to have enough dummy projects in their files so that the public would never learn about the real ones. We learned from prominent European microwave scientists employed by NATO 
at the time of our interview, she asked to remain anonymous, that simply covering the body with aluminum foil and defend against the supposed rivered stick barrier weaponry. At your own peril, you might try putting a piece of foil around your microwave weapon, and you'll get a graphic of dangerous demos of how microwaves bounce off metal. The river sticks microbeams never would have penetrated the tanks against which they were designed to defend. A powerful radio signal that may be affecting human health has been monitored in several Eugene, Oregon locations and in the air 3,000 feet above the city, proclaimed the Eugene Register Guard on March 26, 1978. The source of the radio signal is unknown. Thus came to light news of the first electromagnetic biohazard suffered by a major population center in America. Shortly before the registered guard printed that, a middle-aged Eugene man, Walter Dubesky, came down with synonym symptoms remarkable similar to those attributed to microwave sicknesses. He noted a strange vibration emanating from within his home. He heard voices, he could not sleep, he suffered burning of his cornea. University of Oregon industrial hygienist Marshall Van Hurt called to investigate Dubowski's complaints. Suffered the same symptoms in the man's home. Disturbed, Van Hurt recruited several local engineers to investigate. The engineers measured an unusual radio signal they determined was capable of producing potential biohazards. After dodging the public health agencies to investigate further, Van Ert broke the story to the papers. The Eugene signal was described as a radio frequency pulsed at 4.75 megahertz, 1,100 cycles per second, recorded within at least two local homes as well as 3,000 feet above the city. The signal's strength was rated at 500,000 watts, 10 times the FCC AM license limit. The signal extended as far away as the next town in Corvallis. 150 documented complaints about the signal prompted Governor Bob Strobe, Senator Mark Hatfield, and Congressman Jim Weaver to demand an EPA investigation. A data analysis by the State Health Department's Radiation Control Section suggested probable cause linking the complaints to the strange frequency. I was surprised, said Clifford Schrock, a Texatronic Inc. radio frequency analyst who had written CIA and NSA electronics manuals. I'd never seen anything like it before. Reactions to the story flooded in from around the world. Calls came in from people telling similar stories about their own distant areas. Several calls came from technicians offering their hypothesis about the signal, suggesting a possible link to secret weapons radiation. The people of Eugene began to learn about electromagnetic radiation, biohazards in a hurry. No one, however, could get to the bottom of Eugene's problem. The FCC's Enforcement Division Assistant Chief, Richard Smith, laid the blame squarely on a naval transmitter at Dixon, California. The Dixon Duck, Van Ert, and others disputed the conclusion. The Navy denied it. When the EPA technicians finally arrived, they decided no real problem existed and denied that there was any mystery signal. Van Ert, Schrock, and others strongly disagreed with them. They had felt the signal and had measured it. 
but after holding a cursory press conference, the EPA investigators returned to their Las Vegas headquarters and dodged reporters. Then the investigation folded. While some of the citizens in Eugene, Oregon said they continued to suffer from the signal effects, the Eugene signal remained an official mystery. Marshall Van Ert left Eugene after began to suffer from the EMR symptoms. Years later, he remained convinced he was victimized by secret IW radiation and a government cover-up. The people of Eugene weren't the only ones complaining of EMR biohazards in the 70s. Similar symptoms were reported in such places as Timmins and Kirtland Lake in Canada. These effects were linked to an alleged Soviet radio broadcast dubbed the Woodpecker by master and amateur radio operators. These effects bear a strong resemblance to the biohazards inherent in invisible weapons like the electromagnetic pulse, which was then under development by the Pentagon. Although the people of Eugene didn't know it, both the U.S. and the Soviet military had been working for years to perfect the use of electromagnetic frequencies as psychological weapons. On October 14, 1976, radio communications throughout the globe were disrupted by powerful radio waves emanating from the Soviet Union. The broadcast appeared irregularly and varied between very high and very low frequencies. When the U.S., Canada, Great Britain, and the Scandinavian countries protested the broadcast, the Soviets apologized, blaming the disturbance on experiments. But then, the nature of the wavelength changed and huge electromagnetic standing waves formed, thousands of miles long, penetrating the Earth and extending up to the ionosphere. Due to its characteristic sound, the signal was dubbed the woodpecker. The sound ham radio operators heard all over the world can be replicated by tapping a pencil on a table at between 8 and 14 times each second. The wavelength was traced to alleged Tesla generator experiments in the Soviet cities of Riga and Gomal. The standing waves stretched down both coasts of North America and along the eastern frontier of the Soviet Union. The woodpecker has been blamed for subsequent shifts in weather patterns resulting from altered trade winds. The change of winds created a drought in the western U.S. with severe effects on farming and the economy that year. Several agencies feared that such standing waves might well have caused the disintegration of ships, including oil tankers, in the Atlantic. But their potential effect on human beings caused even greater concern. Former Pentagon think tank researcher Lowell Ponte wrote in the late 1970s, the kind of radio transmissions alter the planet's magnetic field. The giant rivers of wind in the sky, like the jet stream, tend to follow that magnetic field. So when you bend it, or when you begin creating giant standing waves in the atmosphere, as our government knows they've been doing, you bend those wind currents, and where they go, the weather goes. Just as the human body's nervous system operates electromagnetically, so the Earth has an electromagnetic aura, which scientists claim can be altered to produce dramatic weather shifts. In fact, the Earth's ionosphere 
oscillates at approximately the same frequency as human brain waves, making it a perfect carrier off of EMR radiations in the brain wedge and can be bounced throughout any change of frequency. The relationship between the electromagnetic sphere and the EMN basis of human body can be exploited as a strategic weapon. Everyone has experienced mental and emotional shifts during changes of weather. Imagine the power open to those who, by flickering a switch, could control the Earth's atmosphere and change not only the weather but also the brainwaves of entire populations. Cryptocracies around the world know that a strong pattern exists correlating geophysical phenomena and political disturbance health and mood swings. For these reasons, the woodpecker gained a lot of covert attention. Sounds and even words can be made to appear within the human brain when broadcast from EMR neurological controls at a military base. Brainwave entrainment, coronary strokes, and epileptic seizures can also be triggered by remote control. One 1976 DIA estimate was labeled Recommended reading material for those consumers who have an interest in the application of microwave energy to weapons. An Army report, Analysis of Microwaves for Barrier Warfare, describes the use of microwave bands to control populations. Although few would appear to know it, the French have used invisible wavelengths to control crowds for years. A former U.S. intelligence officer even claims that the Nazis used fringy machines to stir up crowds at Hitler's Nuremberg rallies. The French crowd controlled sirens use various inaudible sounds which throw people into terror and cause loss of bowel control in mass. We must remember that Richard Helms may very well have been such weapons in mind when he testified before the Warren Commission on June 19, 1964. Then Deputy Director for Plans at CIA Helms warned, current research indicates that the Soviets are attempting to develop a technology for control in the development of behavioral patterns among the citizenry of the USSR in accordance with politically determined requirements of the system. Furthermore, the same technology can be applied to more sophisticated approaches to the coding of information for transmittal to population targets in the battle for the minds of men. In future chapters, we'll examine evidence that the U.S. cryptocracy is advancing along the lines of this supposed Soviet plan. Since the 50s, both the Soviets and the U.S. were covering up their knowledge of inevitable invisible weapons. While we originally interviewed the legal counsel for the State Department's disarmament agency in 1980, we heard him claim ignorance of such weapons. He furthermore said that such ideas were speculative and futuristic. History has shown, beyond a doubt, that the state's council was lying and had, in fact, possession of materials concerning invisible weapons. Certainly, he was aware of the Soviet amendment to SALT II, which proposed banning of infrasonic and electromagnetic weapons designed to affect biological targets. There is hope, however, just with computer hackers and their demonstrated ability to outsmart government systems an underground physics network acts as a perpetual thorn in the side of the invisible warriors. In the 1970s and 80s, 
colorful characters such as Bob Beck of Los Angeles Biomedical Research Associates flew back and forth from Washington to Eugene to Canada sharing findings and investigating the Oregon Signal, the Woodpecker, and other suspected government environmental crimes. Members of this loosely knit network shared their information freely and were concerned about the debilitating aspects of the indivisible war on the mind. A former military intelligence officer, Lieutenant Colonel Thomas E. Bearden, United States Air Force retired, publishes Specula, a magazine devoted to psychotronics and bioenergetics. These two words describe what amounts to the electromagnetic, electronic amplification of telepathy and what was herefore be called ESP. Bearden is not just a concerned amateur. He is an experienced scientist who has several of his psychotronic weapons papers on file at the Defense Documentation Center outside Washington. The story of his fight to publish a book on the subject of psychotronics and bioenergetics, the Excalibur Briefing, is a full of cloak and dagger intrigue as Ian Fleming's thriller. Bearden's book was due out in 1978, but was mysteriously delayed again and again. During the time he was preparing the manuscript for publication, the underground lore says one by one, the members of his network met strange fates. One member of Bearden's network was Ira Einhorn. An aide to Congressman Rose Einhorn wrote, during the time that Alexander Solonitskin was making the transition from his native land to his fortress in New England, he uttered a prophetic statement about the Third and Fourth World Wars. In essence, he said that the Russians had won the Third World War, and the battle was now shifting from the physical combat to the combat of the mind. The Fourth World War involves the struggle for the human mind itself. One day, police raided Ira Einhorn's apartment during the search, they found the long dead body of his fellow researcher and girlfriend, Holly Maddox, in a locked trunk in his closet. The body had been dead so long it was mummified. While the downstairs neighbors had heard a woman scream several years before, there was no physical evidence to link Einhorn to the murder. But murder charges were filed, and he was tried and convicted in absentia. While on a $45,000 bail bond, of which posted by a Canadian liquor heiress, Einhorn made an impassionate plea to the press and friends. He claimed that the CIA was framing him. Fearing that he could not get a fair trial, Einhorn disappeared and has not been underground for the past 15 years. Three times he has been seen in Ireland and Sweden. Each time he escapes capture. Einhorn travel in intellectual circles. He was definitely a dangerous free thinker, dangerous to someone, and with such a passionate curiosity coupled with a brilliant mind, perhaps dangerous to many, maybe most dangerous to himself. He was connected with Michael Murphy of the Islean Institute as William Irwin Thompson records in the edge of history. He was friends with physicists among them, David Bone, Fred Wolf, Peter Maddox, Fritoff Capra, Heinz Pagels, and Jack Sarfati. He was in fact Sarfati and Wolf's literary agent at one point. He counted among his acquaintances astronauts Buzz Aldrin and Edgar Mitchell, psychic Uri Geller, writers Martin Gardner, Arthur C. Clarke, Arthur Kessler, 
Elaine Pagels, Dr. Andrea Puharich, George Lennard, and author and publisher Steve Brand, at least one night, Sir John Whitmore, radical investment broker Jerry Rubin, actor, author, and mariner Sterling Hayden, UFO author and computer scientist Jacques Vallée, filmmaker Steven Spielberg, and George Lucas, and EST founder Werner Earnhardt, among many of the consulary. In fact, he was, as one Fred said, the central network coordinator for all the most radical new physics ideas. He sent out frequent packets of information, and this was before internet. One of his network, a leader in the E-Zone today, said, Knocking Einhorn out effectively killed the distribution of the new physics information. Einhorn was in the thick of the students of the Tesla technology, remote viewers, and those who were at the time doing research under project name Scantat, S-C-A-N-A-T-E, a pet project of then-President Jimmy Carter. Carter had created the project for remote viewing of military targets, especially submarines, after psychics and intelligence report led the chief executive to believe we were lagging behind the Soviets in such research and development. Everyone was thinking invisible warfare. To give you an idea of the dangerous free thinking that was going on in Einhard's circle, Sarfati's Illuminati appeared in the internet in 1992. It mentioned Einhorn prominently. Physicist Jack Sarfati reported, quote, If I remember correctly, Brendan O'Regan, one of the moving forces at Stanford Research Institute in that day, and I went with Uri, Uri Geller, to his hotel room where I met Dr. Andrea Bruharich, Sir John Whitmore, and perhaps Ira Einhorn. I struggled by Uri asking him if I could trigger a nuclear weapon by psychokinesis. I later found out from Ron McGray, author of Mind Wars, that some of our intelligence people were greatly concerned about that possibility. I may have initiated that concern. Later, Sarfati said, quote, Former Naval Intelligence Officer and Jack Anderson report Ron McRae told me that the Navy had been fooled by phony data on a remote viewing of Soviet submarines because someone had leaked the actual data to phony psychics. McRae seems to have omitted this story from his book. Barbara Honegger said that policy decisions on the basing of MX missiles were made by the Reagan staff under the belief that remote viewing worked. Harold Chipman believed that it worked and told me that he had used it successfully in his business. At the height of his popularity, while Einhorn was working with Charlie Rose and quietly negotiating with the U.S. and Czech governments in an effort to gather their support and collaboration in the creation of Nikola Tesla Museum in the country of Tesla's origin, Serbo Croatia, then Czechoslovakia, while he was at the same time promoting a movie on Tesla starring Orson Welles as part of an international year of Tesla, the dead body of his girlfriend turned up in the large which had her name on it. Einhorn said she went to the store one day and never returned. In the closet with the trunk were other containers possessing her clothes and personal items. Holly Maddox disappeared during the International Year of Tesla. The movie Secrets of Nikola Tesla was to have its premiere in Prague to coincide with the opening of the museum. There would be patents shown 
that had never been seen in public. Tesla's inventions, which had never been seen, would be built in a miniature to demonstrate some of the most wonderful, unknown, and miraculous inventions of the servo creation. Tesla had practically invented the 23rd century single-handedly. He'd invented radio, microwave broadcasting, electricity broadcasting, the alternator, and the dynamo. And he'd experimented with the Weston Bridge, Scientology's e-meter, and the polygraph's galvanic skin response monitoring device. Tesla invented so many things that when he died during the Second World War, the Secret Service cleaned out his room and his hotel safe of all his belongings. He dreamed things up which have not yet been applied. Tesla believed that Albert Einstein and all his physics was a dead end, like Newton's turned out to be. At the end of the 19th century, Tesla knew about an entirely different physics, which Einhorn's friends were, and still are, on the verge of discovering. One must remember that Sigmund Freud's best pupil, Wilhelm Reich, was sent to prison and had his books banned for 60 years when he stumbled upon something called Or, Orgone. Sarfati says that he and his friends were, quote, channeling the new physics from the future. Our basic themes since the early 1970s have been, number one, quantum non-locality, essential for a physics of consciousness as well as paranormal. Present-day quantum mechanics is only an approximation for dead matter. Life introduces a really new physics that Penrose in his new book, Shadows of the Mind, call OR, O-R, physics. Fred Allen Wolf and I explained it is a quantum star wave from the future to the present in addition to the more familiar quantum waves from the past to the present. Quantum waves act within space-time but exist beyond space-time and are able to directly connect widely separated events in space-time. Indeed, such quantum connections between different parts of our brains are needed for ordinary consciousness and for memory as well as for anticipation of future events. Number two, the future causes the past and gives meaning and purpose to the past and to our existence. I call this the destiny matrix, the title for my memoir. Number three, time travel to the past is necessary for our universe to exist. The fact that the latest data from the Hubble telescope shows that the universe may be only 8 billion years old when we see stars that are 16 billion old tells us that our ordinary ideas about time are in serious trouble. Number four, we are in contact with higher intelligence from the future that use advanced quantum technology that breaks the speed of light barrier to communication. What would happen if this were the common belief in the early 1970s? Nikola Tesla seemed to be in agreement with this kind of thinking. So what if, suddenly, Nikola Tesla was all the rage? People would begin to re-examine this eccentric hermit's designs and theories. Maybe the Soviets and the Western intelligence goons flipped a coin to see who would shut Einhorn's folly down. It would only cost one beautiful young woman's life. That was cheap thinking of all the oil that could be pumped one day longer. Just one day longer, another rup of oil out of the ground before the new free energy devices were discovered. That may sound far-fetched, 
but one has to scratch one's head over how many know how little about Tesla. Knowledge of the history of alternating current could be dangerous for the egos of the men I met who were executives of the Southern California Edison. They graciously took me on an overnight bus tour of their ingenious nuclear hydro system in Southern California. It was truly a beautiful adventure. I was amazed to see the lakes near Pine Top being filled by water that only the day before had fallen thousands of feet to a holding lake at the foot of the mountains. The water was pumped up to the top lakes again with the ever-constant current of electricity generated cautiously by the atomic reactors at the five Santa Fe plants. The limitation of nuclear power, it seems, is you can't turn it up or down. Once you turn a nuclear reactor on, it produces a constant flow of electricity. So, in order to supply the extra power demanded by Southern California's air conditioners in the summer, water is pumped up and stored as energy in the high lakes to be released through the long-ago paid-for hydroelectric stations that used to power Los Angeles. It costs nothing since the nuclear power plant surplus energy was not needed off hours. This way, at peak demand time, the extra power is there in controllable quantities. The valves are opened and the small turbines begin to generate power from the falling water. Before I knew all that, on the bus winding its way from the desert floor to the high Sierras, the Southern California Edison public relations flack did what it had to do. He passed out mags and baseball caps with SCE logo on them and begged us to watch the mandatory video he had to show us on the history of SCE. Of course, the name of the company was Edison, so it didn't matter to me when Edison's DC systems couldn't keep up with Westinghouse's Tesla's AC systems. SCE made the switch the better way. But the video didn't seem to acknowledge that Thomas Alva Edison was the promoter of direct current and Tesla the inventor of alternating current. Westinghouse backed Tesla's better system and the better system won out in the marketplace but Edison was remembered and Tesla forgotten. Why? I asked the tycoons of the Southern California industry, the SCE's biggest consumers, all except me, who had been invited on this trip if they knew about Nikola Tesla. They didn't. I drew blank stares. One said, who? I then asked the director of the tour, the PR guy from SCE, how he came he didn't have anything to say about Tesla and didn't even know who Tesla was. Could this be why Einhorn had to be put down, smudged, smeared, and framed? Maybe it was so important that people not educate themselves about Tesla, that an easy target was taken like so much men in a trap to keep Einhorn's mouth occupied with the legal defense, or to lock him away behind bars, where he could not have access to his dangerously free-thinking network of friends. Jack Savardi says it's more disimpassionately than most people who know Einhorn. Without knowing all the facts, without trying the case, Sarfati puts it straight and simple, stating the facts but allowing Einhorn the benefit of the doubt, repeating his former agent's side of things. Einhorn claimed he was innocent and was framed by the KGB. Others said he claimed the CIA framed him. It could have been either or both. After Einhorn was located and arrested in France, even after several supposed documentaries and a movie of the week tarring Einhorn in a simply murder, questions remain. 
Was he framed, and if so, by whom? Did Einhorn have a simple motive to kill Holly? In a preview of the public opinion we've seen with the O.J. Simpson trial, Einhorn was reported as having abused girlfriends previously. He was not to have murdered anyone before. To anyone's knowledge, he hadn't killed anyone, perhaps even anything before. One witness said that he was sadistic with animals. The animals turned out to be one incident in which he tried to persuade someone to take a cat into the shower with him. So who else had the motive to kill Holly? It would have been a good frame. There would have been a lot of circumstantial evidence. The shadow of a doubt had been planted to succeed in locking Ironhorn up for a good number of years. Even if he eventually proved his innocence, even if the murder, if someone carried forward and confessed to the murder, the charge of the murder would be useful to discredit the emerging yuppie come new age dangerous freethinker who was dabbling in new physics. If Einhorn was tried for murder, he didn't even need to be convicted. Many of these weirdos would be drawn into the testimony. Maybe Einhorn was to the new physics movement what Charles Manson was to the psychedelic movement. But if Einhorn didn't have a moment of homicidal madness, someone else is, for the purpose of framing Einhorn and tarnishing the reputation of his whole social milieu, killed Holly, it could have been Soviet, British, or U.S. intelligence agencies. Was Einhorn naive about the evils of the cryptocracy? He was a utopian visionary who hoped for a world with unmetered energy. Toward that end, he was fiercely and freely exchanging information on little-known Tesla technology with invisible warfare potential. He was knowledgeable about independent Tesla research around the world. He was hobnobbing with the remote viewers at SRI and Mossad agent Uri Geller, who was believed to be capable of erasing computer tapes and to possess other menacing mind-over-matter talents. And apparently, he would give copies of Tesla patents and diagrams and unpublished technical reports to just about anyone who requested them. With hindsight, Einhorn told friends some of the people who had requested hard-to-get Tesla papers from him may have been working for foreign intelligence agencies. Let's leave this to other researchers to examine the documents Einhorn was circulating at the state's case against him. The primary question today might be what was suppressed that Einhorn was coming close to. Probably whatever it was 20 years ago is now public knowledge. Einhorn's name came up in conversations with other people who'd known him in 1994. Wes Thomas, editor of Mondo 2000, and Regia Sabirsky, a nationally recognized researcher of mind control and non-ionization radiation. It did not bring up his name. I'd only talked to him once on the phone, nor did I know Einhorn knew these two. When I spoke with them, Thomas was in California and Sabirsky was in Pennsylvania. Both appeared to hold Einhorn in high esteem for his knowledge of invisible weapon technology. Both expressed their belief in his innocence even though they had already been convicted in absentia of first-degree murder. Pressure was brought to bear on the French government which allowed Einhorn to be extradited back to the U.S. after the U.S. changed the law. The French refused to allow his extradition because the country which gave birth to the Bill of Rights doesn't believe in trying to people in absentia, nor in making laws that aim at just one person, as the state of Pennsylvania did, backing off its conviction of Einhorn in 
making an exception for him, promising the French that they would give him a new trial. After months of negotiation, Einhorn was brought back to the U.S. in chains. He resides in a prison in the middle of the state, making it difficult for reporters to interview him, or you'd have heard about this articulate visionary by now. Abandoned by his friends and family, relying only on the assets of the Pennsylvania public defenders, Einhorn is hunkered down preparing his defense. Tesla technology appears to exile, too. Little mention of Tesla is made in America's deplorable education system. Research of declassified KGB files on Tesla and Einhorn would now be a timely research project, as would a thorough roundup of physics and technology reports, which add up to invisible warfare. Sarfati offers more insight into the climate of those times among the brilliant people. At a conference in England, Sarfati was introduced to a sprightly Englishman, Dennis Bardens, who said, quote, Dr. Sarfati, may I take you to dinner? Fred Wolf was there, and he suggested I go with Bardens. We had a good dinner of duck and cherry sauce at the Blue Boa Inn. After dinner, over brandy and cigars, Bardens leans towards me with a conspiratorial wink and said, First, I want you to know that I am a Kabbalist. After a dramatic pause, he continued in a more officious tone. Dr. Serfati, it is my duty to inform you of a psychic war raging across the continents between the Soviet Union and your country, and you are to be in the thick of it. Now, it would appear, with the collapse of the Soviet Union, the whole world is in the thick of the psychic war. An apparent most of the mind-controlling forces is aimed at individuals and the masses. Only a few get to play with the beneficial aspects of the new psychotronic technology. In late October 1994, a mission of the space shuttle was flown to look at the ozone lever, which was said to have a hole in it. About the same time, the first harp signals were broadcast from Alaska, which pumped radio wave energy into the ozone layer, following Nikola Tesla's 50-year-old plan. HARP stands for High Frequency Active Aurora Research Program, a project that will build the world's largest high-frequency radio transmitter. Construction began in 1994. The first stage of completion corresponded with the shuttle mission. From HARP, documents reveal. The HARP is to ultimately have a high-frequency heater with an effective radiator power well above 1 gigawatt on the order of 95 to 100 DWB, in short, the most powerful facility in the world for conducting ionospheric modification research. The Soviets, operating higher powers than the West, now have claimed significant stimulated ionization by electron impact ionization. The claim is that HF energy via wave-particle interaction accelerates ionospheric electrons to energize well in excess of 20 electron volts so that they will ionize neutral atmosphere particles which they collide. Given that the Soviet HF facilities are several times more powerful than the Western facilities at comparable mid-latitudes, and given the latter appear to be on the threshold of a new wave-particle regime of phenomena, it is believed that the Soviets have crossed that threshold and are exploring a regime of phenomena still unavailable for study and application in the West. 
From the Department of Defense point of view, however, the most exciting and challenging aspect of the ionospheric enhancement is its potential to control, control is underlined, ionospheric process in such a way as to greatly improve performance of C3 military abbreviation for command, communication, and control systems, or to deny acts ability to an adversary. A key goal of the program, HARP, is the identification and investigation of those ionosphere processes and phenomena that can be exploited for DOD purposes, such as outlined below. Generation of extremely low frequency waves to provide communications to deeply submerged submarines, Geophysical probing to identify and characterize natural ionospheric processes so the technique can be developed to mitigate or control them. Generation of ionospheric lenses to focus large amounts of HF energy, thus providing a means for triggering ionospheric process that potentially could be exploited for DOD purposes. Electron acceleration for the generation of infrared and other optical emissions that could be used to control radio wave propagation properties. Generation of geomagnetic field aligned ionization to control the reflection and scattering of properties of radio waves. Oblique heating to produce effects on radio wave propagation at great distances from the heater, thus broadening the potential military applications of ionospheric enhancement technology. Generation of ionization layers below 90 kilometers to provide radio web reflectors, mirrors that can be exploited for long range over the horizon, HF, VHF, and UHF surveillance purposes. Although the Air Force and Navy are managing HARP, it is supposed to be a purely scientific research facility which represents no threat to potential adversaries and would therefore have no value as a military target. Electromagnetic systems that could be affected by HARP operations at either of the sites could include high-frequency communications, FM radio, mobile VHF radios, wildlife trackers, citizen band radios, handheld transceivers, UHF communications equipment, VHF radio telephone systems, and television. The final environmental impact statement was dated well after the contract had been awarded to Arco Power Technologies. Elsewhere, we've noted the use of ionosphere as a reflector of brainwave frequency range signals for the purposes of entrainment of an entire geopolitical group. Is the meaning of this technology what Ira Einhorn was about to make public? And what's this really going to be used for? Something we probably have not realized yet. There is much to be uncovered about the dark thoughts of the cryptocracy, broadcast into your mind or not. Investigative journalist Rita Hill says, This is a dangerous time. We might need some journalistically non-standard approaches. We are probably being fed some disinformation. There are also real possibilities of being mind-controlled or killed. Or, as Gunther Ressberger told me, keep in close contact with your networks. Is it unthinkable that the U.S. cryptocracy would attack a physics network the same way it attacked the civil rights and anti-war movements of the 60s? One would expect to see a lot of bodies piling up in front of a doorway to multi-dimensional space and time, or in front of the safe that keeps the blueprints for a portable cold fusion reactor, 
or in front of the shoebox that holds the plans for levitating automobile or transporting engines. Remember the slaves that buried the pharaoh? Anybody who gets his or her hands on some multidimensional thing better watch out. They might rule the world, and God forbid they put it in the public domain so everybody could have one. That would have really made this time and place a 